0: Welcome to the Liturgist Podcast. You are now listening to Black History is American History. I'm William Matthews. And hey, I'm Propaganda. I'm Nikki Black. And I'm Andre Henry. Today's moment in Black History, Audrey Lorde.
1: Audrey Lorde born Audrey Geraldine Lord, February 18, 1934, was an American writer, feminist, womanist, librarian, and civil rights activist. As a child, Lord struggled with communication and came to appreciate the power of poetry as a form of expression. In fact, she describes herself as thinking in poetry. She also memorized a great deal of poetry and would use it to communicate, To the extent that, if asked how she was feeling, Audrey would reply by reciting a poem. Around the age of 12, she began writing her own poetry and connecting with others at her school who were considered outcasts, as she felt she was. As a poet, she is best known for technical mastery and emotional expression, as well as her poems that express anger and outrage at civil and social injustices she observed throughout her life. Her poems and prose largely deal with issues related to civil rights, feminism, lesbianism, illness, and disability, and the exploration of Black female identity. Lord's time at Tougaloo College, like her year at the National University of Mexico, was a formative experience for her as an artist. She led workshops with her young Black undergraduate students, many of whom were eager to discuss the civil rights issues at that time. Through her interactions with her students, she reaffirmed her desire not only to live out her crazy and queer identity, but also to devote attention to the formal aspects of her craft as a poet. Her book of poems, Cables to Rage, came out of her time and experience at Tougaloo. From 1972 to 1987, Lord resided in Staten Island. During that time, in addition to writing and teaching, she co-founded Kitchen Table, Women of Color Press. In 1981, Lord was among the founders of the Women's Coalition of St. Croix, an organization dedicated to assisting women who have survived sexual abuse and intimate partner violence. In the late 1980s, she also helped establish Sisterhood and Support of Sisters in South Africa to benefit Black women who were affected by apartheid and other forms of injustice. Her most famous essays, The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House, is included in Sister Outsider. Lord questions the scope and ability for change to be instigated when examining problems through a racist, patriarchal lens. She insists that women see differences between other women not as something to be tolerated, but something that is necessary to generate power and to actively be in the world. This will create a community that embraces differences, which will ultimately lead to liberation. Lord elucidates, divide and conquer in our world must become define and empower. Also, one must educate themselves about the oppression of others because expecting a marginalized group to educate the oppressors is the continuation of racist patriarchal thought. She explains that this is a major tool utilized by oppressors to keep the oppressed occupied with the master's concerns. She concludes that to bring about real change, we cannot work within the racist patriarchal framework because change brought about in that will not remain. In relation to non-intersectional feminism in the United States, Lord famously said, Those of us who stand outside the circle of this society's definition of acceptable women... Those of us who have been forged in the crucibles of difference, those of us who are poor, who are lesbians, who are black, who are older, know that survival is not an academic skill. It is learning how to take our differences and make them strengths. For the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. And this fact is only threatening to those women who still define the master's house as their only source of support. From 1991 until her death, she was the New York State Poet Laureate. When designating her as such, then-governor Mario Cuomo said of Lord, Her imagination is charged by a sharp sense of racial injustice and cruelty, of sexual prejudice. She cries out against it as the voice of indignant humanity, Audre Lord is the voice of the eloquent outsider who speaks in a language that can reach and touch people everywhere. Lorde died of liver cancer at the age of 58 on November 17, 1992 in St. Croix, where she had been living with Gloria I. Joseph. In an African naming ceremony before her death, she took the name Gamba Adisa, which means warrior, she who makes her meaning known.
0: So Audre Lorde to me is kind of one of those figures that truthfully, I have never done too deep a dive on her stuff, but she's named everywhere. It's like anyone that I read, especially Mm -hmm. in feminist, womanist literature, they reference her. I'm reading quotes by her all the time. Uh, Recently, I read a conversation between her and James Baldwin that happened. Mm -hmm. I think it was in Essence magazine. And her ability to articulate how differences make you strong (laughs) and how like particularly black women, black queer women have to own that difference, which I just thought was so profound. She was schooling this guy, right? Who's, I mean, literally, I mean, we praise Baldwin. Like, I think he's a genius. Mm -hmm. Um, But it turns out she was one of the most influential people in his life to call him out on his stuff and to help push him further, especially with his critique on race to include black women. I think Mm -hmm. in ways that he wasn't seeing.
1: Yeah, I feel like Audre Lorde is similar to Baldwin having a, there's a resurgence in popularity. People are looking at her work more, quoting her. I mean, not a day goes by. I don't see an Audre Lorde (laughs) quote or, yeah, I mean, she's really being heralded at this moment. I had a coworker give me a sister outsider for a (laughs) <laughs> our, our Christmas exchange, our uh, secret What a Santa. great gift. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, she's just kind of everywhere and um, really at the forefront of womanism and the Black feminist movement or the modern, I would say. Yeah, the modern Black feminist movement.
0: Hmm. That yeah, phrase, yeah. the master's tools will never dismantle the master's it's house, like is like... I've known that quote longer than I've even known her name. Right, yeah. That's yeah. just been out there. Her work precedes yeah. her.
2: Yeah, the idea, like, yeah, in in that in that book, the same idea of like, you're not just gonna keep using me to teach you. Yeah, you know? like that is like being able to trace it back to her because the ideas permeated into mm-hmm. all of just black thought. It's just like to me, yeah. That's why I'm like, she's the equivalent of like she's a rapper's rapper. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, Hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that quote or that you know philosophy about the master's tools not dismantling the master's house is uh, central in really radical liberation work. This idea that as Black people in American society, we are not going to attain our liberation by using the same hegemony the same Mm -hmm. uh, systems of oppression to oppress other people because and i think we talked about this uh one other time before Mm -hmm. when i was saying like a a revolution is not changing the color of the people in power and changing the color of the flag Mm -hmm. and but that's what a lot of people think it is and so what audrey is saying is like no you need to deconstruct what you understand about governance what you understand about you know society and the way that things should go and who should uh, the distribution of power and wealth and you need to be very very radical about that and not replicate these yeah. systems that you claim you want liberation from mm, mm-hmm. yeah the friends for non thing or you just
2: just want to sit at the table right and just you just want to run the table rather than Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: rather than create a new one. Yeah,
2: like and even some of the going back to like the the Panthers, like some of the differences in in opinion with them was like, yeah, like the answer is not black capitalism. Answer capitalism is mm-hmm. not black capitalism. Like Fred Hampton was saying, you know, what I'm saying, and there was some that did think that that was it. Not you just need to create honest, your own.
0: That conversation is still, still happening. happening. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: And I think in a large, I, I think revolutionary thought thinking literature is having a major resurgence but i i do think the majority of people think yeah we just need like a black capitalism I mean,
3: well i think this is what uh work like lord is pointing at is that in a lot of ways like it's not just black capitalism it's black patriarchy it's all yeah. these yeah. you know it's all these different systems and we just say <laughs> i don't know if y'all watch astronomy club but they have this whole sketch where they're like you know blank but black You know, you know that's that's the way a lot of us are conceptualizing like how we'll get black freedom. So we're like, this is the whole this is the hotepery we're talking about. Yeah, in another episode, so you got to listen to that one again. But you know, a lot of hoteps are basically just like oh yeah, like it's because, you know, what do they blame on on uh, the social misery of black people? The feminization of black men, mm-hmm. you know, that we're not in our place, that, you know, black feminism is giving women this wild idea that they're actually people too. Yeah. You know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And basically saying like, we just need to be at the top of the pyramid yeah, as black mm-hmm. men. You know, and then, you know, we'll keep women in our place. We'll keep LGBTQ people
0: in their place. All that kind of yeah, stuff. that's crazy. You know. I think this is where the fundamental misunderstanding of identity politics comes into play, right? Absolutely. It seems like Audrey Lord's pointing to embracing our differences. And identity politics is just really the owning of that difference and knowing that you're moving out of that politic. But everyone has that. Like, white mm-hmm. people. White identity politics is Trumpism. Yeah. Like, it is this perspective and from that identity we're doing politics from this way. And, and, and so... Identity politics, right, is always thrown at marginalized people, women, for how dare you lead with your difference? How dare Mm -hmm. you say, Mm -hmm. because I'm a woman, this matters to me, so therefore I take agency, ownership, and power. And it seems like she's kind of a a mother of this type of radical thought, but I still think it it gets clouded in this type of like supremacy notion, right? Of like, well, women are just trying to control now. And and what she's trying, trying to control. Yeah,
2: and what she's trying to say is like, no, like, Add it to the goulash, like mm-hmm. we're making gumbo here. You know what I'm saying? And all of your identities need to go into the gumbo. You know what I'm saying? And so, to me, that that was the strength. I, what I always took from what she was trying to say is like, no, like the it's this is our superpower. It's being able to have all these perspectives into the soup. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And rather than saying, it's like this is chicken noodle soup, period. <laughs> <laughs> And then, so Why do I going, feel like that reference no. was intentional? <laughs> yeah, No, I want it to be beef stroganoff. She's like, no, that's like, you're trying to, you're still picking a flavor. What I'm saying is like, yeah. let's just all put it in there and let's see what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so like that to me, I know even just in my own life, like taking time to like go, okay, this is what I bring to the table. Now we've brought before, like now let me listen to like, let me listen to the indigenous, to the Native American. Bring this to the table. Look at the same thing I'm looking at. You know, what I'm saying, what are you getting from this? You know, and that perspective. This is a, this okay because it's
0: different identities, and so she's bringing like, I'm black, I'm a woman, yeah. I'm queer, right? It's val-
1: like those it's are valid. I'm I'm also disabled. I'm sick. I'm yeah. disabled. Yeah, yeah,
2: and I'm looking at the same thing you're looking at, and I'm seeing what you're not. So like, because right. like, I'm at a different social I'm location, at a different location, and I'm like, I don't know anyone. Well, I know a million people, but why would you not want that? Like, why would you not want someone to say, hey, I'm on the other side of this cup. And I'm telling you, on the other side of this cup, there's stuff over there that you need to see to consider, to understand what you're looking
1: at. I think it goes back to another conversation that we've had, though, about neutrality. And so if you are neutral, if you are the default and Mm -hmm. you have now othered people, this is a byproduct of othering people. Yeah. And so you yeah. don't have whiteness, because whiteness is a default; it's not a thing. Yeah, it's just like mm-hmm. everywhere. And but oh, you're black over there. Now you're trying to taint our politics with your blackness. Yeah, I've give, I've labeled you with this thing, and pushed you aside. But oh, I have no, I have no race. I'm just mm-hmm. like I'm a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Why yeah. can't you just be a person? Mm. Like <laughs> that's what yeah. it is. Why you got to bring your identity? Why you gotta show up and yeah. be gay? Why you gotta show up and be disabled? Yeah. What What are you doing that for? Because yeah. I am all people.
2: Because you are the regular.
1: I am the regular. Are, I'm regular. Like, so this <laughs> yeah, policy like, is what? benefiting you too. Because yeah. you, you know, it's this really strange. It's gaslighting.
0: Yeah, is what it is. Yeah, because they they can't see your identity or see how how your identity informs who you are gives you an alternative perspective, right? So no. therefore it's
2: like-
1: Well, they can't see how their own identity gives them that their
2: perspective. That they're doing what they're saying. We're they're doing. Doing, the, right. the, doing the thing. Doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, right. I forget homie's name, but he's like an indigenous thinker. And he was talking about like, why the Liz Warren like mishap oh, yeah. about mm-hmm. her native history, why it was so damning. And it wasn't so much that she's not native. Yeah. It was that you succumb to the blood test and she, cause mm. what they were saying is like, I forget the name of the law, but it was like, it's a catch 22, so like, so that for you to be considered technically indigenous, there has to be a percentage of Native American blood in you. Mm-hmm. But that that that's what the government decided before right. for us to say, we can support you and you could be covered. Right. And in a lot of ways, it was a very cynical way to like, almost like breed out having to cover you. So like mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm a quarter Navajo and I marry someone that's 20% Navajo, my child now may not count as a Navajo child right. because of the percentage of Navajo blood inside of them. But like if I raised you on a Navajo reservation, you know, and they're like and no one's considering how we define Navajo. Right. You know what I'm how saying? How we define like, ourselves. Yes. That that they were like, we considered part of your there's like they were like, listen, there are runaway slaves who are full blood black who lived among our tribes that we now consider full fledged natives. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. you are one of us because that's how we decide identity. Right. But if but but for her to say, okay, I'll take the test, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. you've now legitimized uh-huh. their reason credibility right, for, you know what I'm saying? So there was just like, nah, like it was a catch-22 for her. And she was like, and there was like, it's actually very possible that her being from Oklahoma, even though, you know, she white as all get out, it may be very true that that Native American lady that was a pitcher in their house was they can cons- she consider them a, 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 that was an elder in their family because yeah. their family may have that tribe may have actually adopted her family in mm. you know what i'm saying culturally for them you feel me but it's just like but if you but if you take that test then what you're saying is like the way that we identify ourselves don't matter right right, right. It, because again you get to decide what yeah. makes me what i am mm. and i think right?
3: that speaks to your point though about like You know, why does it feel so dangerous for certain people to just say, yeah, what you see from your vantage point is different from what I see in my vantage point is because some people are invested in controlling the frame. Yeah. You know, it's like if you close one eye and just switch between both eyes, you're going to see that both of your eyes are actually not.
2: Yeah, they're moving. Yeah. yeah, You're like (laughs) the the things don't look
3: because you're like you see clearer. You have depth perception because of the field, those combined field division from both of your eyes, right? Mm-hmm. But that's just not how people who have been able to control the frame on that you know, have been able to see it. And I think it's partly because the thing that those in dominant culture crop out of the frame is their own violence.
1: Yeah, you know? always.
3: And I don't know if it's subliminal or if it's intentional yeah. that they know that that's what's there, <laughs> but that is what is most, lo- most likely cropped out of the frame. And what it would mean for us or I would even say for those who have been cropped out to be able to bring that there, it's just it just gets messy, yeah. you know. And they realize, I think a lot of people realize that the thing that they lose is control.
1: Well, know? yeah. If you want to omit the violence, and then you have these people identifying, then they are essentially the uh, evidence.
2: Mm, Absolutely,
1: mm-hmm. we're the evidence, and maybe that's why you know the, we don't want to identify, or as a society, we don't want to identify the victims. Yeah.
2: yeah. And thank you Audrey, Lord, for pushing back at that. Like yeah. no 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 no. No, we're here. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And bringing her whole self to the table. Yeah. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Black History is American History.